Now on Documentary on News Talk, producer Brian Gallagher looks at the lives of people who live, work, study and play in Ireland's oldest university in the documentary Trinity. It was like a gateway into Wonderland for me. It was great. It was a wonderful big adventure. Certainly the, the social side, the Tuesday nights, the Thursday nights, it's probably more fun than you'll ever have in your life. We've got Oscar Wilde material. We've got 850,000 maps. It's so rich what we have. Being a part of DU Players is just an absolutely wonderful experience. I think the best thing is seeing people flourish. That, for me, is the reason I get up every morning and focus on the benefits of what we do. He thought to himself, God, I'd love to be there, but didn't think it was possible. I suppose my hope for the future is for Trinity Access would be that, you know, we get to the stage where it's no longer needed. If you say, what's a university there for? I would say to you, a university is there to change the world and make the world a better place, ultimately. It's a fantastic location to work in. It's a little oasis, a little green oasis in the middle of the city. I've always viewed Trinity like this giant treasure chest with resources that we can open up to the wider public. So hopefully it's still here in 400 years' time now. <laughs> I won't be around, but... <laughs> Robert Emmett, Veronica Gurdon... Percy French, Mary Robinson and Samuel Beckett wouldn't seem to have much in common. But in fact, they were all graduates of Trinity College. Founded in 1592, it's the oldest surviving university in Ireland. Let's meet some of the people who work, study, play and live there. Patricia McCormack and Paul Kelly studied medicine in Trinity in the 1970s and they recalled their first impressions of the college. I came from a provincial town, Bray, so it was like a gateway into Wonderland for me. I'd only been inside the college gates on a few occasions. Going into Trinity, it was, I suppose, cosmopolitan and it was great. It was a wonderful big adventure. Just the diverse cultural aspects to it, where you'd meet so many different people from so many different backgrounds. It was eye-opening and wonderful because there were the academic, obviously the educational aspects to it, which were vast compared to what I was used to. There was the social aspects to it and it had every kind of club you could possibly think of. Trinity was a bit exotic. Some of the names of buildings had a touch of the empire about them. We were told we were lucky to be there. I mean, it was old-fashioned. You were steeped in history. Your lectures were in the old buildings. And we were told that we were 100 people out of a 1,000 applicants and how lucky we were to be there. Until 1970, Catholics were banned from attending Trinity unless they got permission from their bishop. Paul Kelly tells of his experience of the ban. I wasn't aware that it applied to me when I went into Trinity. And I learned a few years later that the local parish priest had words with my parents about the fact I went to Trinity. And I know for a fact that my father straightened them out. <laughs> that was the nature of the day. 
there were people from Northern Ireland, Catholic communities in Northern Ireland, who commented on the fact that some of them had been told they need to get a letter from their bishop to allow them to come to Trinity. And the response generally was, well, the second word was off. You know, that we were a generation, we're not going to take that anymore. Happily, today, Trinity is much more religiously diverse and ecumenical. As Methodist chaplain Julian Hamilton explains. There's a lot more Muslims attending now. There's a, a Hindus who now attend Trinity College. The Jewish society will meet regularly. There's, of course, the growth of atheism as well. And my favourite's agnosticism. I think probably there's a lot of people telling me that they're atheists. Actually, they're just good agnostics, which I can always work with. That's not a problem at all. The chaplaincy has always said it's a place for people of all faiths and none. So what's the job of a college chaplain like? I think in the past I've described my role here as a privileged role as a chaplain that gets to encompass the best of life and also is privileged to sit with the worst of life at different times. I've had everything from the joys of, in, in my younger days, going out dancing with students in nightclubs, having, having one of the societies go, we're all going to this club, come on, it's your birthday, or something like that, and getting to know people, getting to know their real lives, being involved in, in weddings after students have come through here and met in college, a lot of those really joyful, privileged things, and also then the privilege of being with people in some of the most sad and horrible and worst moments of their lives. The chapel in Trinity is a beautiful old building, dating back to 1798. Originally an Anglican church, today it's shared by all the Christian chaplains. Julian Hamilton tells of some of its uses. We have big flagship services. The college carol service is standing room only every Christmas. The Trinity Monday service is another glorious piece of tradition and history that happens every year here. And the chapel will be full for that. There'll be other services every year where the, the chapel is brimming over with life and energy. And it's a real delight to be here on those occasions. Having said that, formal religious practice is in retreat. I think traditional religion is in real trouble in Ireland and the whole of the Western world, but I don't think God is in trouble. I think people still have a real thirst for the deeper questions of life and for meaning and purpose and dignity, and I think people still find those. They they still find that those questions are spiritual questions, which, as a Methodist minister, into social compassion and social justice and equity, it's been a real joy for me to be part of what happens in this building. Sport is an important part of college life, and I asked Trinity Sports Coordinator Michelle Tanner about her role. Our job is to get as many people involved in physical activity so that our mission is really to put sport at the heart of everything we do here in Trinity. So what's the response like from students? We would have a really strong uptake of students. We get about eleven or 12,000 students that would activate that access to the sports facilities, which is a really high number. We would have about 6,000 members, active members of the sports clubs as well. 65% of students in the last survey that was conducted are regularly involved in physical activity or sport, which is really good, yeah. And what are the most popular sports? The bigger clubs in terms of performance would be our rugby, our ladies hockey, our ladies basketball, basketball, the boat club as well, be very active, both men and women, and our GA clubs, you know, they'll be very big. Our swim club is also very big, and we have a real good mix of martial arts clubs as well. Our fencing club are fabulous, and we have some internationals as well playing in those clubs, our, our county players in GAA. 
there's literally, we like to think, something for everybody here. Having extensive playing fields in a city campus is a big plus, as Michelle Tanner explains. It's a fantastic heritage and they're of huge ornamental value as well as sporting value to us. To be able to have a city centre campus which is under pressure for space, to have sports facilities, green spaces, it's really important because it helps us not just facilitate our performance sports but also encourage people to live a more healthy or active life while they're in this campus. They can get involved and we have a fitness trail for example which goes around the pitches that people can use freely. The sports pitch are used as recreation spaces as well so it's quite important that we have it for sporting but also for recreation use. And there's a long history of sport in Trinity. You know we have probably the oldest athletics track on it's on grass but you know it's still a fantastic facility and one of the first Irish athletics competitions was held in College Park and we one of the best arenas to play cricket in absolutely gorgeous in College Park there's no better place on a summer evening to to play or watch cricket with the path there as well of course and I think you know our rugby pitch is just it's a fantastic experience for our athletes to be able to do that in College Park. To cater for the number of students however Trinity has had to acquire outside locations for sports. It has a boathouse on the banks of the Liffey at Island Bridge, a 34 acre sports complex at Santry and its most recent acquisition is the old Guinness Athletic Union site in Crumlin. So what would Michelle Tanner wish for in the future? I would love to see investment in sport. It's very much my passion, but I do believe in the power of sport and physical activity. I think it's really important because we know students perform better academically when they're involved in physical activity. And it also helps them in terms of their employability when they're involved in running clubs and being leaders and learning skills that they might not get the opportunity to do in the classroom or the lecture theatres. So I think sport has got quite a wide range of opportunities available to our students. So I'd really love to see that come alive. The best thing is seeing people flourish and seeing the difference that we make to people's lives. That, for me, is the reason I get up every morning and focus on the benefits of what we do because you can see it changing lives. You know, you can see people learn a new skill or have belief in themselves that they can achieve or have some health benefit of being involved in physical activity or sport. And I think that's really what makes me tick, yeah. Doyle is the provost of Trinity and she tells what the provost role is. It's the head of Trinity College and basically I suppose you're responsible for everything that happens in the university. That ranges from the strategic element so you want to kind of think about the strategy for the university as a whole and what direction you want to drive it in. The day-to-day management overseeing all of that It's about the governance of the university. So I'm the chair of Trinity's board and I sit on many different other committees. And it's also about making sure that you, as head of the university, care for the staff and students of the university, their well-being and how they can thrive. I asked Linda if she was working in the college before she was made provost. Yeah, I was. I've been in Trinity a long time. I was an academic. I'm actually an engineer. uh, So I was professor of engineering and the arts. So I I used to do teaching and research. So how does someone get chosen as provost? We actually elect the provost. So it's actually exactly like how you might imagine an election to be, you know, in the political sense. You have to get out there. You have to talk to the people who have votes. You have to write a manifesto. 
you have to have uh, lots and lots of meetings, meetings with individuals, meetings with schools, meeting with groups of people. And you do that over a period of time. And then there's actually an election. And because it happened during COVID, the election was electronically. But before then, and I don't know whether you know this, but before then it was actually nearly like electing the Pope. So the people who are on the electoral register... Uh, which is mainly academics, would have to gather on a particular day in a room and you had to kind of give up your phone and everything as you went into the room and you all stayed in that room and uh, everyone voted successively in rounds until you came to the conclusion as to who was the provost. Since the college's foundation in 1592, there's never been a female provost until Linda Doyle. 429 years to get a woman. It's a significant achievement and I asked her how it felt to be the first. To a certain extent... Whether I was male or female, I think I am so delighted and excited to be in the role um, that I'm, you know, you're kind of constantly pinching yourself. I'm, I'm nine months in now and I still feel like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here in this role. Um, but, yeah, it, it was very, very special. And, uh, you know, one of the important things for me, though, is that um, being the first woman in anything doesn't remain special that it's just an ordinary everyday thing to happen and people wouldn't comment on it down the line but but I have to say having said that it was a wonderful day when I got elected Becoming a Trinity Scholar is a prestigious achievement and one of its perks is that dinner in the dining hall is offered to scholars every evening Monday to Friday free of charge Former scholar Aoife Lucy recalls the experience. Those nights that I didn't have a late lecture, you could just walk up to the dining hall and sit down and you were served your three-course meal and a half pint of Guinness if you wanted it. And you'd sit beside whatever space was there so you could get talking to somebody different every time. Meal starts and ends with grace in Latin and everybody is asked to stand up while one of the scholars gets up onto this rostrum and says grace in Latin. I did it for a little while. Um, You had to learn off the Latin grace and the fellows of the college are invited to join the scholars as well so they'll sit at a top table and then all of the scholars sit there on their benches they're what they call commons that's what the dinners call what they call commons and it takes an hour and the, the food is very good actually it's, it's very nice and yeah we enjoyed it i tried to get there as much as i could but there was more to being made a scholar than free food benefits of being a scholar are phenomenal they certainly were when i was there A huge benefit is that you're offered free education for five years at the college. And then if you want to set a master's or start a PhD after that, you can do so. But you also have the chance to live on campus for a couple of years. Being a scholar at Trinity was, I'd say, one of the most important achievements of my life and one of the most special times that I've had in terms of my own development as a person, my academic development. It was also like being part of a fairy tale. The, the pomp and ceremony about it is humorous to, you know, to the outside person, but it feels wonderful to be part of that. With three former presidents and two former Tishi among its graduates, Trinity has long been a training ground for political and social leaders. Today, the Students' Union is still active, as Leah Kyo explains. So I'm currently president of Trinity College Dublin Students' Union. It's a busy job. The primary representative of the students here in Trinity. So what the union endeavour to do is to find solutions to obstacles that students encounter, you know, during their time here in college. They bring the problem to us and we try to find the solution. Starting university life can be a challenge. I think initially it's it's a huge change and maybe culture shock because, um, of course, college is very different to second level. There's some more freedom and all of that kind of thing. So I think it, it can be difficult initially, but because we have such a vast variety, you know, of student services, societies, sports clubs, all of that, people usually find their tribe. 
Students also find causes to campaign for. Leah Kyo tells of some of them. We run a series of campaign weeks throughout the year, which are more welfare focused. So we had Mental Health Week recently. There was also Rainbow Week, which was for the LGBTQ plus students here in college. There's also then more kind of political campaigns. So last week was Refugee Week. Accommodation crisis has taken up a lot of our time this year, alongside then some issues facing students on a more local basis. For example, student fees. We lobbied college this year to freeze fees for international and postgraduate students and we were successful on that endeavour. So that was us kind of doing our job. The provost's job is a demanding one, but it has one very attractive perk, a large detached residence on site. As Linda Doyle explains. The address is number one Grafton Street. And actually, if you say that to people, people go where? And nobody notices it. But if you look at the front arch, if you're facing Trinity, it's over to the right. So it's a house that was built in 1759. It's a big, huge house. It's a working house. So we have meeting rooms in there and we have lots of events in there. But it's a beautiful house and it is a great privilege to be living there. And it's it's kind of still amazing when you open your front door and you go through the front gate of the house and you're right out onto Grafton Street. You know, in the house, you can hear every busker and every song they play, but you get used to it. Uh, you know, you're in the middle of the cities, a vibrant city. And there is a green space to escape to. So there's a garden at the back of the house. It's a beautiful garden. In, in times gone by, that garden was huge. So where the arts block is now, so some of your listeners might know the arts block. So that at one stage before the arts block was built, the Provost Garden would have extended all the way down there. So it's it's pretty lovely space. And again, we try to use it for events as well. I, I think it's very important that the house is used a lot and that people are coming and going and that it kind of has a quite vibrant vibe. By living in the Provost's house... Linda Doyle is keeping up a long-standing tradition. Apparently there's only two houses in Dublin, in Dublin City anyway, that are still used for their original use. So one is my house, the Provost House, and the other house is the Mansion House where the Lord Mayor lives. But what about the nuisance of noise? You hear absolutely everything. You hear the Lewis, you hear people, you hear things echoing around the place. But it's still, I, I mean, I'm totally used to it. One of the th- kind of funny things that happen is sometimes if there's huge scale building going on around, the builders kind of leave a, a message to say we'll be making extra noise tonight, which I, I thought was very polite and also very curious. Um, but I can sleep through it. I asked Linda if she can bring in her car the park at the Provost's house. You can, yeah. So you can, uh, it is a bit of a nightmare. This, this sounds like a real first world problem. It is a bit of a nightmare getting in the gate. But um, again, you just get used to all of this. The house, it's a very interesting house. I mean, it was, as I said earlier, it was built in 1759 and it has a kind of funny flow to it. And there's rooms that we only really use for events, but there's some rooms then that are kind of more comfy and you can just kind of sit around in your pyjamas to put it like that. <laughs> The Library in Trinity College is a recognised repository for millions of books. It's also home to major collections and the place where in-depth research is carried out. Archivist and librarian Helen Chanton takes up the story. It's, it's the biggest library in Ireland and the richest in terms of its collections. Even if we didn't buy a single book, you know, 75,000 monographs, books are arriving every year. So we have 850 medieval manuscripts. We've got the greatest collection of Irish medieval manuscripts in the world. Obviously the Book of Kells, but also the Book of Durrow, the, the Book of Armagh. So we then have this very, very rich historic collection. We have got 
the most fantastic, unique and distinct collections. As I said, medieval manuscripts. We've got Samuel Beckett's original correspondence. We've got Oscar Wilde material. We've got 850,000 maps. It's so It's so rich what we have in the old library, which everyone will be able to see in their mind's eye. I contest that it is the most recognised interior in Ireland, and we have the Taoiseach in here, and he didn't disagree. So we've got this whole heritage, national heritage, it isn't just Trinity. Operating such a complex setup is a big undertaking. It's like a medium-sized enterprise. It's 160 staff, it's millions in budget. You've got all of that side to it. But while storing detailed records of Ireland's past, the library itself is looking to the future with the virtual Trinity Library, as Helen Shenton explains. The idea is there that all of this unique and distinct material we're going to make it available to the world. And the vehicle for doing that is we're going to digitise it because we've got Egyptian books of the dead, which are these huge scrolls, over 3,000 years old, on papyrus, and we want to make them all available to anyone around the world with an internet connection and an energy source. And then so many other major libraries have been doing this all around the world. So once these all start to join up, You've actually got this amazing, unbelievably rich digital entity that you can delve and um, research. I mean, you can do text mining and data mining, but we're only on the cusp of what's possible. You're listening to Trinity by Brian Gallagher on Documentary on News Talk. asked people for their abiding memory of Trinity. The memory of Trinity is certainly the, the social side, the Tuesday nights, the Thursday nights. It's probably more fun than you'll ever have in your life. Getting out of a, a late nightclub at 3am and rolling into college at 9 or 10am, sometimes you might miss a day or two here and there. But I think the social side was certainly something that I would remember quite fondly. I remember being in the middle of Front Square and just thinking, wow, I'm part of this. That, that was really important. I can think of being at a Trinity Ball and jumping around in one of the tents and just having the crack in the early hours of the morning with other students and with other staff. I guess a highlight for us here every year is when we have a, an Innovation Award night. We come together with all the, the academics and just seeing in a particular night everything that this university does and what it produces, it always is a very inspiring event, so it'll be my best memory. The Students' Union had run a campaign called Take Back Trinity around student fees and they were successful in that campaign and the students just took to front square there was a DJ set playing everyone was dancing there must have been hundreds of us but it was a special moment because I think then you know students claim Trinity as its own you know Trinity's a lovely place and we share it with so many different people but the essence of the place is education and so in that moment I think students really felt like this was their college It was my first week in Trinity and the head of security and I went into the long room. There was no one in there. It was just this very soft light and the sunbeams were coming through the windows. You felt as if angels should be bouncing down them. And we went onto the balcony and as you look down, it's this beautiful cathedral with the barrel vaulted roof. And it was so soft. It was, I welled up. I welled up. 
But Trinity has more going for it than nostalgia and history. Today it's at the forefront of development, as Leonard Hobbs, Director of Research and Innovation, explains. First of all, we assist our academic colleagues with getting funding for their research. And once they then get their research done, there's some contractual work that needs to be done. We process about a thousand contracts a year. And once that's all done, they have interesting results. Then we step in again and then we assist with the commercialization of those research results into things like spin-out companies, industry engagement, uh, etc. So what sort of projects does the unit deal with? We could be working on cancer one minute and the next day we're working on Internet of Things and we could be working on neuroscience. So the entire expanse of what Trinity does, our unit supports all of that. I asked Leonard how many people were involved in research in Trinity. There's three to 400 probably academic staff that are actively involved in research in a given year. So the amount of research activity in the college is about a third of the entire income of the college comes from research. We do far more spin-out companies now than we ever did before. So it's expanding all the time. So how would Leonard like to see the future unfolding? Well, my hope is that Trinity will continue the excellent research. It's just cutting-edge research. And I would hope that will, will deepen and continue to take on many of the world's greatest challenges in areas like cancer, climate. You know, So certainly looking forward to, to a bright future in that regard in terms of taking on those challenges. And on the other side, I'd hope that we continue to produce the kind of impactful research that gets translated into new companies, new innovations in larger companies in the years ahead. The DU Players Theatre is a busy place, and I met Oshin O'Reilly there. I'm a drama and theatre student in Trinity College myself, and being a part of DU Players is just an absolutely wonderful experience because it really is a place that allows one to hone the craft producing theatre. Whether you are the most experienced or whether it's your first time here, this really is the place to be, getting to know and being introduced to the theatrical industry in Ireland. So was it daunting as a new student to join players? No, not at all. As soon as you step through those doors, you are always greeted by the committee of DU players. Wonderful bunch of people who invite you in and says, hello, how are you? And uh, would you like to come in and just join us for an event? I asked Oshin how many members they have. Any given time, it can be at the very least 20, but this can blossom into like 100 members, 100 plus members at times. There's a saying that this is supposedly Europe's oldest theatrical drama society. We have our own little black box theatre. It's a lovely space for creativity and to allow someone to express themselves and to transform it into whatever worlds they create. And Trinity has a long tradition of creativity. Former students turned writers include Oscar Wilde, Bram Stoker, Anne Enright, Samuel Beckett and Sally Rooney, while actors Pauline McGlynn, Stanley Townsend and Paul Meskell are also Trinity graduates. The Trinity Access Programme enables people who would previously have regarded the college as out of their reach to study there. Kathleen O'Toole Brennan, Deputy Director of the Programme, gives us some background. There's a student story that, for me, captures the essence of what the TAP program or Trinity Access is about. The Berkeley Library was being renovated a number of years ago, and one of our students was working as a, a laborer at the time. And while on the construction site on a, as he described it, a wet and dark and windy and fairly miserable November evening, he was looking inside and he could see all of the students there in the warm glow of the library. And he thought to himself, God, I'd love to be there. 
but didn't think it was possible. Thankfully, he pushed the self-doubt to the side and he came and he attended an information morning for our Mature Student Foundation course. And fast forward a number of years, he exited with a degree in law. And I'd like to think that he's really happy and satisfied and content and flourishing now. Kathleen tells how the TAP program came into being almost 30 years ago. We were spearheaded by some great visionaries under the then provost Thomas Mitchell and people like the economist P.J. Drudy and the educational historian Susan Parks. They had the foresight to know that Trinity could be a better place if it opened its doors wider. So they set up a partnership with schools that were part of delivering equality of opportunity and those are considered DESH schools. And so they set up partnerships with seven local schools, and the seven schools grew to become 20, and since then have grown into nationwide partnerships, which we have outreach activities that span the entire life cycle, from primary to second level to adult and community ed. We have an array of alternative entry routes, and of course, we support all of the undergraduate students that are with us. We, we want for them to succeed. 25% of our student body is affiliated with either the Trinity Access Programs, which includes the Mature Students Office, or the Disability Service. And there's a practical payoff for Irish society, as Kathleen explains. So at the moment in Trinity, we have thousands of graduates who have remarkable stories in their own right and have made great contributions in their own households, locally and nationally. We have a member of Dal Aaron and the Senate who are graduates of TAP, but we also have people that worked on the front line during COVID, nurses, teachers, computer scientists, engineers, surgeons, social workers. They span the gamut of professions and have been some incredible students. They're very talented and very deserving of the opportunity which they received. One of these graduates is Dara Hennessy and I spoke to him at the busy Goldsmith building in Trinity. I came to Trinity to study economics and politics but as I suppose a lot of people who come through the Trinity Access Programme there wasn't a long history in, in my community of people going on to third level education but once I got there I got amazing support from the Trinity Access Programme which helped me to really make the most of my time in college. Now that I've graduated, I'm on the other side now and I'm working in the Access Programme and my role is in a couple of different areas but mainly in running a mentoring programme which is students from, from not just Trinity but other higher education institutions going out into their own communities to encourage young people, adult learners, people from all different backgrounds to follow in their footsteps and to go on to reach their own full potential. I asked Dara about finding his feet in college. There's quite a diverse population in Trinity now, despite its its history. It's great that there is that diversity now when we all can fit in. And so many people, you're always guaranteed to find someone, someone you get on with. So what would Dara like to see happening? I suppose my hope for the future is for Trinity Access would be that, you know, we get to the stage where it's no longer needed. That would be the perfect scenario. But in the meantime, the programme provides a vital service. Kathleen O'Toole-Brennan tells why she's so committed to educational opportunity. TAP is really special to my own heart and to my own story. My parents didn't complete primary school. They came from very large families in the west of Ireland and they immigrated to the United States. But I suppose they always drove home to me and my siblings, you know, the importance of education. So I do know firsthand how transformational education is. And I also know that there's talent in every community in Ireland. And individuals in those communities, they deserve to receive the information, advice and guidance that will help them to carve out their future courses and careers. And if they see themselves in Trinity, I'd like for them to know that Trinity is here for them and they're most welcome. Kathleen regards the TAP programme as a cross-college theme effort. 
whether it's in college catering who greet our visiting students from campus tours with a smile as they give them their lunch, or a physics lecturer who describes the science behind foam and bubbles with our students, or even the likes of Brendan Kennelly, who gave so generously of his time in delivering workshops. People really have been so giving and so generous of their time. And I've always viewed Trinity like this giant treasure chest with resources that we can open up to the wider public. There's room for fun too, and Kathleen has some happy memories. For me, some of the most joyous and memorable ones are those with primary school children. You know, they represent the future for us. And we had one event called Terrifying Tales in Trinity, and Bram Stoker was a graduate of Trinity and the author of Dracula. So we had over 200 children dressed in their capes and with their fangs who were treated to a mini performance of Dracula by undergraduate students. And then they met a scientist who described the science behind blood and they all went up to front square and tucked into some chicken goujons and chips removing their thangs from their mouths of course so that was really memorable and programs like that are testament to how much trinity values the local community and local children the bustle of city life can be left behind in the oasis that's trinity Aoife Lucy recalls having rooms there. A friend who I had had a summer job with over a couple of years and she was studying pharmacy was awarded Skull that same day. And I remember her running up to me in front square and we gave each other a big hug and she said, do you want to be my roommate? And I knew this girl, but I didn't know her brilliantly. And I said, oh God, maybe, maybe living on campus would be something really fun to do. And, you know, I could get to know this girl and, she, you know, she's one of my very best friends now. I was bridesmaid at her wedding and, you know, you, you, you grow really close with those people that overnight you decide that you want to move in with and it has to happen that it has to happen that quickly. So my memory of it was absolutely, yeah, as an extraordinary academic achievement, but it also was just a time of celebration and great fun and great laughs. And I think people probably have ideas in their mind of scholars as a group of geeks and nerds who might not have much personality and are very boring and, you know, work too hard but honestly I've had some of my most fun moments during those two years that I lived on campus in Trinity. Living on campus may be fun for the students but a lot of work goes into making things run smoothly in the college as Alan O'Keefe with 44 years experience can testify. Alan is a college attendant and he describes his role. We're responsible for opening and closing the building but taking on and off alarms. We come in in the morning, we get all the classrooms open, make sure that everything is functional, computer equipment's okay, report any faults, make sure up and running for day-to-day lectures. We also deliver all the posts around the building, which is done once a day. This time of the year, it's all exams. The exams will be over, it's all conference stuff. It all changes when the conferences come in because a group of people come in and say, right, listen, we don't want these chairs in this room, we want different type of thing, we want tables with ordinary chairs, so we've got to change all the furniture around. So it keeps you busy. Alan started work in Trinity when the new arts block opened and he's seen the campus develop. Well, in 78 there's only 4,000 students in Trinity College. There's now 17,500. 44 years in the college now and the job, it goes very quick. Not like an ordinary job where a week drags in. It just seems to fly in here. We are planning for exams three to four weeks ago. The exams are up and running now and already now we're talking about conferences which are for next month. So that speeds things way ahead all the time and it shortens the year fairly, you know, the summer goes flying through before you know it, the students are back. Before you know it, then you're into Christmas. There's the year gone. I asked Alan how he got the job. My mother. My mother worked here as a housekeeper and the lady housekeeper said we're looking for a houseman because of the new building. Houseman's duty would be to do the heavy machinery work 
and do all high dusting up on ladders and things like that that the women wouldn't normally be asked to do. It's changed now, but it wasn't that. In 44 years ago, that was the situation. My mother got me in, but a lot of my family are all here. My mother got me, sister was here, my brother was here, and after they went then, my own wife is here now, my niece, my niece's son and daughter are here, my nephew is here. So there's a big family connection. But that's the way the college operated. And they got good staff because somebody said, well, your mother works here, your father works here, so you've got to behave yourself and do your job good. So what part of his job does Alan like best? The shift work. It's great. People say to me, how did it? I say, I, wouldn't do, I couldn't do a nine to five. I, you know, I, I start in the morning time, I'm in here for seven o'clock, which means I'm missing all the traffic. I'm finishing at three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm going home. I've got the whole day ahead of me. It's great. When I'm on late, I've got the whole morning there. You know, I don't start till two in the afternoon, so it's grand. I'll have the whole morning off. I want to do a bit of gardening. I want to walk the dog and go and see the grandchildren. I've plenty of time for doing it. And that's what I love about it, the shift. But when he is working, Alan has to be alert. Yeah, well, you're constantly watching because we get a lot of problems. With, you know, you get problems with pickpockets and things like that. And being in the centre of the city, you get an awful lot of people coming in, you know, and they have a few drinks on them, they're looking for toilets. You know, but it's, you're just constantly watching who's coming in and who's going out. Alan is respected by his employers, which is important to him. It's nice to be appreciated. The college does appreciate staff that are genuine, good workers and helpful. As I always say to the lads coming in, remember one thing I said, we're here for them. Be pleasant, be helpful to staff, students, visitors and conference people because they're here for a good time and you need to help them make sure that time goes well. And as for the future of the college? So hopefully it's still here in 400 years' time now. <laughs> I won't be around, but... <laughs> Social life is a big part of the college experience and Patricia McCormack from the 70s and Donald Fahey from more recent times recall their experiences. I just look back at the opportunity. It was eye-opening. The people you met, the friends that you made that I still have to this day. The first two years was a very active social life centred around three main areas. The buttery, which was the, the lunch venue where you would have went in you would have got your sausage, beans and chips for three euros, but you would have hung around there for maybe two, three hours. The pub, which was the on-site bar where you were allowed to bring your own cans. So often your, your kind of wider group of friends who, who mightn't have been going to Trinity would have come in on a Friday afternoon to meet you. On nice summer days, you would have sat on the lawn, had a few cans and chilled out. And also the snooker hall in the memorial buildings was a place where we spent a lot of time. They had three or four big snooker tables, so a lot of time would have been spent in, in there as well. The ultimate in social life is probably a wedding, and Patricia McCormack recalls the chapel in Trinity where she was wed. It's a beautiful building. I was fortunate enough to get married there, and the music was provided by the college musical scholar. You have to have that person. We were lucky. It was great, and we had lovely music there, and there was old-fashioned tiles and gratings, which I think all the ladies caught their heels in in the course of coming and going. But it was lovely to come out into Front Square, and hundreds of tourists there taking photographs of you, thinking, ooh, this must be somebody special getting married in the college. And it was, again, another privilege. Trinity's cobbled squares and classical architecture make for an atmospheric landscape, and the college has been used as a film location in dramas like Educating Rita, The Great Train Robbery, The Blue Max and Normal People. 
But the college also looks to the future, as botany professor Jane Stout explains. So in the botany department, uh, we study plants. And I think a lot of people think about botanists as very old fashioned in terms of, you know, gardening or flower pressing. But obviously the study of plants is really crucial right now for humanity, tackling global issues like food security, like climate change, and of course, addressing biodiversity loss, which is where my particular interest lies. We're really interested in how plants and people interact and how plants help to regulate climate, can help to mitigate climate change and can contribute to healthy societies and our health and well-being and our economies, of course. Climate change has become a pressing issue in recent times, but botanical studies in Trinity go back a long way. The first chair of botany actually was created over 300 years ago and there was chairs in botany, chemistry and medicine and obviously these subjects all went together and botany would have informed medicine through the chemistry of the plants and, and medicinal plants. So there's a long history of botany in, in Trinity College and we have a, a herbarium which is a, a collection of dead materials and that includes some amazing specimens, type specimens from all over the world, specimens collected by Darwin for example and we use these collections to understand what's happened in the past, to try and predict what might happen in the future, and to try and understand how people and plants interact. So what contribution can the college make? I think that one of the biggest things we can do as an institution for biodiversity is not just in terms of the management of our grounds and being more environmentally friendly in what we research and what we teach. So we have a huge potential for influence in terms of understanding what's going on with regards to biodiversity loss and climate change and what we can do about it. But also in terms of educating people, not just our students, but our colleagues, the staff here, the visitors that come to our campus and the local community. So we've got this huge important role to play in terms of education, of research, as well as the operations, what we, what we actually do here on campus. Already, Trinity has been to the fore. We were the first university to launch a campus pollinator plan in 2017. We've had biodiversity targets in our sustainability plans, but our new provost, when she started in 2021, created a new office, the the Office for Biodiversity and Climate Action. And so we're the first university that has a senior management role to address biodiversity and and climate action issues and, and, and the issues around sustainability, incorporating ourselves and our own health and well-being as well. But it's really in the last Last few years that Trinity's really said, okay, this is something that's important to us, we need to do something. So what would Jane like to see happening? I'd really like to see Trinity embedding environmental concerns across all of its operations. So I think with an increase in understanding uh, about the climate crisis, this has really got people to, to start to question their own practices and procedures and also what they're teaching because we need to address these massive challenges. So my vision for the future is that Trinity can do something positive and obviously to educate our students and our communities about the importance of addressing issues like biodiversity loss and climate change. For an overview of the college's activities, I spoke again to Provost Linda Doyle. When you think of the role of the university and the role of Trinity, there's just so many angles to that. So first and foremost, we're here for our students and to provide a deep education. And when we talk about that, we really talk about how do you create independent, critical thinkers of the future. So there's a huge amount of what we're here is, is for education. We consider ourselves a research intensive university. So by that I mean most of our academic staff here are engaged in research of one form or another. I kind of really describe it often as in our DNA 
and our students themselves, our undergraduate students, would do a research project as part of their final year. And then we have loads of what we call postgraduates, whether they be masters or PhDs, who are themselves researching. So it's a huge part of our identity and that's really important to us. And then also using all that knowledge for teaching. And then on top of that, we are a cultural space in the university. We're a space where people can come in and experience things. So we have things like a Douglas Hyde Gallery here. We have the Book of Kells. We have the beautiful old library we consider ourselves a place where people can come and learn themselves casually there's lots of kind of extracurricular activities there's lots of debates there's lots of talks and things on so it's a cultural hub in that context and of course trinity isn't just the main island campus that probably people if you close your eyes and think of trinity you think of the front arch or the campanile or something but we obviously also have locations in, in our hospitals and kind of scattered among the city so we we also can think of ourselves in that context so in a nutshell what should Trinity's role be? If you say what's a university there for, I would say to you, a university is there to change the world and make the world a better place, ultimately. And, and for me, Trinity needs to continue to be doing that. So what does the future hold for Trinity? I asked some of our contributors for their thoughts. Trinity was built with big walls around it, you know, to keep certain people out. And I think we've come a long way. George Salmon, the the statue you'll see as you walk through the front gates, he famously said over his dead body would women enter Trinity. And sure now I'm a female president of the Students' Union and we have a female provost running the show. So I'm excited for the future of Trinity. I think it's definitely on its way to being a place for all. It's a beautiful university that's old yet new. We've been here since 1592 and it's a very innovative university and it will continue to innovate and reinvent itself for the new circumstances. It's challenging, but I am very hopeful. I would just hope that Trinity continues to send out people into the world who want to make a positive difference, who want to see a positive social transformation. In truth, there's little that Trinity needs to do better. It's a great college. It's in a fantastic location. It's in the heart of Dublin city centre. I'd love to see the college continue to invest in its arts departments. And I know that there are such giants that came out of the college. So I would hope that it would continue to invest in the next giants of the future. And I hope it doesn't lose the history that I think gives it all of its charm. And I just hope that it doesn't lose it while it's hurtling towards the future and looking towards the future that it also doesn't lose sight of the past and its history. Trinity was written, produced and edited by Brian Gallagher. Original music was by David O'Connor. Our thanks to all those who contributed to the programme.